Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. We come to you live this morning from Chuck McBride's back patio uh, where we are physically distanced. Guys, we are uh, continuing in the series of In the Wilderness. You know, uh, Phil has this rhetorical question he asks every week, two of which are unique, and the third is a rhetorical question. Who do we know in the wilderness? And it's become obvious now that we're all in the wilderness. What's obvious is that because of the pandemic, we're in the wilderness. It's taken me uh, 25, 26 weeks to realize that uh, it wasn't the pandemic that put me in the wilderness. I've been in the wilderness all along, just like you are. Guys, I look forward to the day that we're able to uh, gather again at C Spire. Amen. It will be a glorious day when that happens. In the meantime, I am so thankful for Jeff and Jeff and their preparation and bringing us to you each week remotely but yet live. And for Chris and his willingness to serve and putting together the handout <clears throat> each week. Excuse me. He puts it together each week and it's there on their computer screen. If you'll see the link uh, just above where the link was for this, I believe you'll find the handout. Please print it out and follow along this morning uh, as you can every, every week. Guys, uh, we're back into the fall season. Summer's winding down. Labor Day is kind of the unofficial end of summer, and deer camp is kicking off this weekend. Phil was just telling me he's got 12 new guys that will be at deer camp this weekend, a full house. It did a great thing, and then a sad thing at the same time. Guys, we are broken. We're in a broken world, pandemic or not. We're in a broken world, but we serve a mighty God. And his son, Jesus Christ, has reconciled us back with the Father. May the message that Phil brings this morning be from God Almighty. May it touch our hearts. May it be a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of these men that are gathered with us. We thank you for those that are tuning in live and those that will be joining us later in a recorded message. Lord, thank you for Phil and the preparation he goes through each week to bring a message. I ask that you anoint him with a special message this morning that would touch each man's heart. In your name we pray. Amen. Sunshine has been delayed today. It's uh, September, so uh, a little darker this morning um, as we arrived here. But uh, I want to offer you a song um, this morning as we uh, <clears throat> prepare to uh, dig into our uh, study. Um, we're at the end of uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is uh, uh, Moses' sermons. Uh, some people call it one sermon, but it took him six days uh, or so to commentators believe to lay out all of the, his thoughts, uh, his final thoughts. And um, as we come to chapter 30 uh, today, I have a song that I think uh, just really fits in by Carrie Job. I want to read the words to you, Heal Our Land. Not only would this be have been appropriate uh, for uh, Moses and the children of Israel to sing, um, but it would be appropriate for us uh, to sing now um, and worship the Lord through. Listen to the, uh, the words. You take our lives flawed, yet beautiful. Restore, refine, Lord, you're merciful. Redeem, revive. Spirit of God, breathe on your church. Pour out your presence. Speak through your word. We pray in every nation, Christ be known. Our hope in salvation, Christ alone. New power, new wine, as divisions fall. One church, one bride, Jesus, Lord of all, with one voice we heal our land, heal our hearts. May you hear the voice of God and may it open you to what God has for us this morning.
Just as we uh, um, uh, again, I just I just want to point you again to how important music is, and certainly that Carrie Joe. Your uh, your heart, but um, never forget how critical music is. I I use it in my counseling practice all the time, um, directing people to music, specific songs, or even inviting them to come back and share with me songs that 
are meaningful to them and just getting them anchored in music. It's, it's so critical. It, uh, the, the research shows that music uh, changes uh, our brain waves. The neuroplasticity in, in our brain is affected by music. So never forget that. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Um, let's continue in our series. Um, follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph once again. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of our life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? Or we might even say ears to hear. In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. And if that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our own present wilderness season. Let's journey together. This morning, what we want to look at um, in this wilderness journey is the glory of restoration. Life will get better. Um, I believe that even now in this pandemic. Um, I don't believe this is the uh, rest of our life. It is a season. It's, it is real. Um, again, I was, I was uh, Carl and I were up in Tennessee this past weekend, Labor Day weekend always go up to typically watch the first Tennessee football game, but, you know, we didn't do that this weekend. But we were with Papaw, and my dad's doing well, um, and um, all, all the family. And, um, you know, again, this, this – that things will get better, that there is a journey that we're in – but this is not the definitive moment of our lives. Things will change. And I'm, and I'm convinced uh, that we will get back to some sense of normal, although I do believe that normal will be different forever. Uh, this has changed a lot of business, families, um, um, whatever. Uh, I, I, saw, I saw one headline earlier today, no more snow days in school, you know. When I, uh, when I was growing up, you know, the snow days were, were, were a welcomed holiday, unexpected. And now with everybody on Zoom and, and education being done a lot through uh, online, it's like, no, still got to go to school, got to stay home, turn into your computer. We still got school day. No, no snow day. <laughs> so anyway, uh, follow with me as um, we look at three questions just to get us attuned to this idea of restoration. So I've got three questions. Pick up your pen. I want you to deliberately um, do some journaling with me. Question number one, in what areas of your life do you feel alienated or separated from God or others? Again, this is a self-assessment. You know, at, at Deer Camp uh, that we'll have this weekend, uh, the question would be, where are you? I could have simply just said, where are you? Um, but I want you to think just a minute, what area of your life might you need help in, restoration in? And um, I would just draw attention to um, even what Carla and I shared um, last weekend. And um, again, I, I, I hope you got to see that last weekend. I, I I have to give my wife the kudos for getting up so early. She's not a morning person. So what you saw last week is somewhere short of water into wine. Um, and, and if you didn't get to watch uh, Jeff's little 
two-minute preliminary uh, jockeying back and forth. Watch that just for comic relief. It was pretty funny how Jeff put that together. But I draw attention to last week because what Carla and I talked about last week were four areas of our life as a way to assess where we are. Physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. So when I ask you that question this morning, what areas do you feel alienated in? You might say, you know, where do I need help physically? And uh, I'm, um, I've eaten poorly this summer, gotten through the Labor Day holiday in Tennessee, eating all the good stuff that I grew up eating, and I'm on it. Uh, I've, I've got to get uh, uh, back into a, a healthy way of eating or I'm going to weigh 350 pounds, you know. Um, so health-wise, I need to shore some things up, physically, emotionally. Um, man, who's dealing with anxiety? Uh, I'm seeing it in my counseling practice a lot. Uh, depression. Um, uh, there's been an increase nationally in people taking medication uh, during this pandemic. Studies are showing it's like, what's going on emotionally? And, and again, it, it's so important that we're able to express uh, emotionally what's going on because what we always say is either talk it out or act it out. And that's what you do. We act it out through addiction or, or even depression or panic attacks or whatever. But it's like those emotions are, uh, are building up like a pressure cooker inside of you. And if you don't release it like the valve on a pressure cooker, then that pressure will build up and there'll be all kinds of ramifications. Even your physical health will begin to, to deteriorate. Socially, uh, socially, you know, the bottom line of socially is just connection. And it's a challenge uh, to be connected uh, during this pandemic. But man, I'm so glad that we've got 10 or so guys uh, here on the patio, part of our leadership team together. Um, I wish we had the hundred guys uh, here that we normally have in the training room at Ceasefire. And then it's spiritually is intimacy with God. Um, it's not about um, being moral, certainly not about being immoral, but this whole idea of being a God follower, a Jesus follower is about having a, a real intimate living, dynamic, organic, personal relationship with God. Um, where are you with that? I hope you're deepening your roots in him. So second question, when have you experienced healing? When have you experienced healing? What would you give praise to? I mean, like what areas of growth have you seen in your own life over the last six months? None, none, please don't. Please, please don't say that. Um, I had I had the the great experience Sunday morning. I'll, I'll tell you uh, again. I was in Tennessee with family, and we decided not to go to church, the little church that I grew up in, but that we would have church uh, on my sister's um, front porch. Um, and um, I wish I had pictures that I could show you. Uh, my brother-in-law and sister built this log cabin on the side of one mountain that looks out over this other mountain through um, um, the valley um, where I grew up in East Tennessee. It's idyllic, re really cool. And uh, we had church on the front porch. My sister asked me um, if I would leave. And um, I did several things, uh, but, you know, I wanted to involve everybody. I wasn't going to like preach or something. Um, but I wanted them to experience something. So I, so I read out of first John chapter four about loving, uh, one another, loving God. And if you don't love others, then don't say you love God because that would be contradictory. If you love God, you love others. And I said, um, to my family, um, nieces, um, um, sister, my 92 year old dad. We're going to love each other this morning. And I've put everybody's name in a Ziploc bag. And we're going to draw names one by one. Everybody's name is in there. 
and when the name comes out, we all get to express how we love that person and what we love about that person. At that point, I thought my 92-year-old dad would fall over dead. <laughs> I looked at him, and he looked at me, and it's like, what? We're going to talk in church? Uh, and, uh, and it was so funny. We started drawing names, and uh, we went, went around. And I saw things that I never thought that I would see in my family. I mean, Joe, it was kind of like deer camp broke out in East Tennessee. And uh, everybody in the circle was crying at some point, even Papa at 92 years old. And it was so sweet um, when it came to him expressing love to my sister, who has stayed there in, um, in um, Elizabethan and taken care of him since my mother died three years ago. He just, he just broke down, thanking my sister, who I'm so grateful for, for taking care of him and loving him. And his man, it was just like one of the sweetest things. Healing, yeah, took place on a mountainside in East Tennessee. So who do you know that's in the wilderness now? And we all are. We all are. Um, hello, my name is Phil, and I'm in the wilderness and everybody else in the wilderness said, <laughs> welcome, Bill. Glad you're here. All right. Glad, glad you're with us. Um, so what would you say? What would you say if you were kind of coming to the end of your life and you wanted to gather your friends and family, kind of like we did on a porch on a mountainside in East Tennessee, what would you want to say to your friends and family? And that's exactly kind of the context of where we are with Moses in Deuteronomy. Moses knows he's coming to the end of his life. Joshua's going to be his heir apparent. He's, he's uh, turning over the reins to Joshua. And as his father-in-law years before, Jethro had told him to write down what the people need to do to obey God, Moses was inspired by his father-in-law. And what we read in Deuteronomy is kind of uh, journal-esque, sermon-esque of um, Moses telling the people what he wants them to understand as they journey forward without him. Um, and I, I don't have my chart with me um, this morning. I forgot it. So I'm chartless. We're in unchartered waters. How about that? Um, and so I would write on my chart at this point, obedience. Um, and that's such a tricky word. I, you know, uh, I, I detest religion and legalism. Uh, I, I'm allergic to it, John. I, I'm allergic. I, I break out in hives when I get too close to religion and legalism. And so that word is tricky because all through the book of Deuteronomy, Moses keeps saying obedience, obedience, obedience. Now, again, for so many of us, the way we grew up, it's hard not to hear obedience in a legalistic way, right? Does that make sense? You know, if I say you need to be obedient, okay, what do I need to do? It doesn't elicit and evoke intimacy in relationship but it's intended to that's the way Moses is teaching obedience he's not talking about the shoulds and the oughts so much as he is how do you engage in an intimate relationship with God well here's are the things that you want to be engaged in but he's not saying should and ought in order to get you to be moralistic uh, and legalistic. Absolutely not. So sometimes it's hard for us not to hear uh, a non-relational admonition. And so many people think that Christianity is that. It's non-relational. It's a bunch of rules. I need to follow it. I need to clean my life up, all that. No, come as you are. Grace is welcome. So what Moses says in chapter 30, so turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30 with me, is what Moses is, is, is giving the people is what God does in the midst of our failures. It's like 
even when we fail and we are less than who we want to be, um, God promises that he's still there. Even when he brings discipline, it's not like he's mad at us. Um, in, in our little um, Sunday morning service on my uh, sister's porch, um, again, everybody's name came out of the Ziploc bag. And um, when Papaw's name came out of the Ziploc bag, um, I let off. And I, I think the look in my dad's eyes uh, at that moment is a look I'll never forget. And he looked at me, and I've written him through the years, everything I know to write. There's nothing that I haven't said to my dad in a card for Father's Day or writing that I feel like I need to say. But it's awkward to say that to his face, right, for all of us. So I looked at him, and, and, I, and I said, Papaw, I love you and respect you for how you taught me how to live with character and how you love my mother. And I'll never forget the model that you have been to me on what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Tears came into both of our eyes. And I, I, I'm so grateful uh, that God gave me that moment with my dad. Um, it would have been hard to duplicate it. And as Carla said, you know, it's like we all got eulogized, not, not just Papaw, but it's kind of like a eulogy for all of us. And in many ways, Moses is saying in this passage how much hope and how much rescue from our shame and how deep the promises of God are. So never forget that, Moses says in his last thoughts. Read with me. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Here's what will happen. Here's what's going to happen. Even when you know, you're in the midst of the wilderness. This is like a preview of coming attractions. While you're out among the nations where God has dispersed you and the blessings and curses come in just the way I have set them before you, and you and your children take them seriously and come back to God, your God, and obey him with your whole heart and soul, according to everything that I command you today, now, again, when he says, obey him with your whole heart, please, please, please understand when he says obey, he is, that is a, an affectionate term, not a legalistic term. And, and he is inviting us into an intimate relationship with God, not a bunch of rules and regulations. That's not what he's saying. He gives the standards kind of like a rule book. I love playing basketball. And I had to learn the rules of basketball. But when I learned the rules of basketball, it freed me to play with great passion. It wasn't legalistic, you know. So obey him with your whole heart and soul according to everything that I command you today. God, your God, will restore everything you lost. A couple comes into my office. They're in deep trouble. He's had an affair. She wants um, a divorce, but she doesn't want a divorce. They've got kids. She doesn't want her kids to grow up the way she did um, in a divorced home. But she doesn't know what to do. How do we repair this? How do we restore? And the promises of God says, even to that wife. God, your God, will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. No matter how far you end up, God, your God, will get you out of there and bring you back to the land your ancestors once possessed. It will be yours again. He will give you a good life and make you more numerous than your ancestors. Wow. Now, again, Get the context. They're in the wilderness, and Moses is teaching them what's going to happen in the future. 
And this is true all throughout the history of Israel. It's true for us today. God restores. God, your God, will cut away the thick calluses on your heart and your children's hearts, freeing you to love God, your God, with your whole heart and soul and live, really live. God, your God, will put all these curses on your enemies who hated you and were out to get you. Really live. Not clean up your act and be good and don't have fun and, you know, just make sure you don't smile a lot and you're fine all the time. You know, everybody in church, you know, it's like, how are you? Fine. Because everybody in church is fine. You know? But it's like, it's the idea. I really live. Really live. And you and you will make a new start listening obediently to God. And again, if I was going to, you know, translate that Hebrew word obediently, it would have to be listening with great relational, intimate connection. That's what obedience means. Relational, intimate connection to God, keeping all his commandments. And I'm commanding you today, God, your God will outdo himself in making things go well for you. You'll have babies, get calves, grow crops, and enjoy all around good life. Yes, God will start enjoying you again, making things go well for you, just as he enjoyed doing it for your ancestors. Well, what a promise. Things are going to go well. We're going to get out of this wilderness. But, now here's the but, but, but only if you listen obediently. Now, again, I think I've emphasized this a couple times, Jeff. I want to emphasize it again. Listen with intimate connection to God. That's what obedient means. Not do something. Don't do anything. A wife wants you to be obedient to the vows. But I guarantee if you're just mowing the yard and, and even edging and making sure that the, the washing machine works and, and you're paying the bills and you're wondering why she doesn't like you anymore, and you're saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. It's like, no, there's no passion. There's no intimacy. But only if you listen obediently to God, your God, and keep the commandments and regulations written in this book of Revelation, nothing half-hearted here. You must return to God, your God, totally, heart and soul, holding nothing back. This commandment that I'm commanding you today isn't too much for you. It's not out of your reach. It's not on a high mountain. You don't have to get mountaineers to climb the peak and bring it down to your level and explain it before you can live it. And it's not across the ocean. You don't have to send sailors out to get it and bring it back and then explain it before you can live it. No. The word is right here. And Jesus kept saying that the, the uh, kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here now. That's what Moses is saying. It's like you can get a taste of this now. And of course, you know, in, in theology circles, we call it the now, but not yet. Now it's all true. It's just that we don't realize it fully yet. And that's what Moses is saying. The word is right here. And now, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as near as the heart in your chest, just do it. And then he finishes this section with this. Look at what I've done for you today. I've placed in front of you life and prosperity is what it says in the study Bible. Life and good. Death and evil. Life and death. Life or death. You choose. You want life. You want death. Powerful, powerful sermon excerpt from Moses. Again, what would you say if you could gather your family on a front porch? What would you want them to know about life? What would you tell them? And Moses simply tells them, first of all, that there's always hope. There's always hope. God restores. There's nothing that you've done, could do, have done, that God won't restore. I want you to turn over to Isaiah. This is a beautiful passage, um, again, of, of just this idea of, of hope. In Isaiah chapter 35.
and listen to God's word again in this idea of hope. Blind eyes will be opened, deaf ears unstopped, lame men and women will leap like deer, the voiceless break into song, springs of water will burst out in the wilderness, streams flow in the desert. Again, metaphorically, what is that? Our hardest, hardest times, God brings hope. He can restore. Streams in the desert, water in the wilderness, hot sands will become a cool oasis, thirsty ground, a splashing fountain, even lowly jackals will have water to drink and barren grasslands flourish richly. There's hope. I had a young father uh, come and sit with me recently and um, he has two sons. Father has two sons. And uh, you know why he came to see me? Is because his father was angry with him, was even abusive toward him. And he's starting to see that in his own life toward his six-year-old and his one-year-old sons. He says, I need help. I've got a problem with anger. And uh, it's like, I didn't say, well, good luck, dude. You know, I hate it for you, but I don't know what, what to tell you. Oh, no. Good. I mean, half the problem solved right now because you're sitting in front of me. Um, and, you know, most men that come into me, uh, see me have a drug problem. They got drug into counseling. You know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he came on his own accord. So half the problem is solved right there. And so, so there's hope. Water in the desert. Water in the desert. And then, then this idea of rescue. You know, all through scripture, God rescues us. I mean, he, he, he's not mad at us. And, and Moses is saying this to the children of Israel. You guys have been a wretched bunch. You know, I've led you guys out here for 40 years. You've been a pain. He didn't say that. He said, God's not mad at you. And in the metaphor that's all through scripture is a shepherd and sheep. You know, I've never had a sheep for a pet, but I've had a dog. I've had a dog. And I know what it means to love a dog. I've learned that, Joe. And, and you know, since you and I have walked together, you've watched me uh, learn to ride a horse a little bit and, and love a dog. I didn't know. I didn't grow up with that. And, and to love a dog and to lose a dog. But what God uses as a picture of his restoring power is a shepherd and a sheep. And how a shepherd will go out to find that one sheep. I understand that kind of with a dog. And, you know, the thing about God, the thing about God, Unlike you and me, he keeps his promises. That's what Moses is saying. Children of Israel, Moses said, God made a covenant with you. And that covenant is going to be fulfilled. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31. God is a covenant God, and he always keeps his promises walking through any kind of wilderness experience, we can be anchored in God is not on vacation. He's not checked out. He keeps his promises. Jeremiah 31 says this, 31 through 35, 30 through 34. The time is coming when I will make a brand new covenant with Israel and Judah. It won't be a repeat of the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took their hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, even though I did my part as their master. This is the brand new covenant that I will make with Israel when the time comes. And you can just put your name. Anytime that Israel is mentioned, put your name. I'll make with Phil. I'll make with Jeff. I'll make with Joe. I'll make with Clay when the time comes. This new covenant, I'll put my law within them. Write it on their hearts. Again, that's that intimacy. 
and be their God. And they'll be my people. They'll no longer be uh, around setting up schools to teach each other about God. They'll know me firsthand, the dull and the bright. Thank God for that. The, the dull, by the way. And the bright, the smart and the slow. You know, it's like my basketball resume. I, I couldn't jump, but I was slow. I wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. What I would say to the husband um, who has been unfaithful, God will forget that you ever sinned. Maybe a little harder for your wife, but God can forgive you. And in Hebrews, God just re reiterates this new covenant is with Jesus. The hope we have, the promise of rescue always, he comes searching for us. And then this idea of he keeps his promises. He's a promise keeper. Moses was such a brilliant leader. Um, and not without, without his own failure and brokenness. We need models. We need men who can stand up and inspire us and encourage us. All through this series, we've been using the Band of Brothers, Major Dick Winters. I'm going to show you a clip where Major Dick Winters, once again, is being honored in this service uh, at Normandy. Um, again, the way men respected him, we need men that we can look to and listen to as guides. Watch this. Another one said to me, I never saw him make a tactical error in the field. You know, these guys were willing to follow him in the words of one veteran through the gates of hell. And, and I think that is, you know, that's something that can't be taught. I think that's a characteristic that you either have or you don't have. Richard Winters would not want us to make a big deal out of this. We don't have bands playing today. There are no balloons, no parades, or fireworks. That is not who he was before or after he became one of the most recognizable leaders of World War II. I think he would be almost overwhelmed and humbled and uh, dismayed at the crowd and because he was not that kind of a guy. He was a very humble, simple fellow. A book and a television series made him a public hero, but like all the men of World War II, he will tell you the real heroes are the men who never came home. So keeping with the late Major's wishes, we are not making this all about him. It's really all about the men in the front row and the men who never came home. The statue may be symbolic of one man in particular who is an exceptionally good leader on D-Day and one of America's most respected soldiers in the war, but there were many leaders on June 6, 1944. We are very fortunate that Richard Winter's exploits and heroism has been well captured, documented, written about, movies made about it, obviously. And he serves as really a quintessential example of that generation and what they did and what they stood for and the incredible sacrifice they made. It is now time to unveil the Leadership Monument if Governor Ridge, Major General McConville, Mayor Malay, and uh, Charles uh, could please head over down the stairs and around to the, uh, to the parachute. Uh, they will have the honor of uh, taking the parachute off of the, uh, of the statue today. Today's ceremony would not have happened without the corporate support of our sponsor, Circuit USA. They did not hesitate when presented with the opportunity to be involved with the leadership dedication program. So Governor Ridge and uh, General McConville, and if all of you would grab a, a portion of that parachute. Ladies and gentlemen, the Richard D. Winters Leadership Monument recognizing all those who led the way on D-Day.
uh, just a good model for us uh, in, in a similar way to how Moses is a spokesman for us as a model. I want to take you just in the, in the few minutes uh, quickly through uh, what we would call the psychology of suffering or, or you might say a counselor's look uh, at suffering. And um, many of these thoughts come out of Diane Langberg's uh, book. Um, her book is one of the books that we're using in our reference. It's on your notes there on uh, suffering. And I wanted to share just with you some of the thoughts about, okay, so we're in the wilderness, we're all suffering, or we're going through some kind of suffering. Um, what do we need to understand? First of all, I would say this, is that all suffering is rooted in evil. We weren't equipped to handle evil. God didn't build in some kind of evil um, uh, defense in us. Um, evil destroyed us um, in many ways. It separated us from God, Adam and Eve. And so it's evil. And so in order to really handle evil, how do you do that? First of all, you got to remain humble. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 needs to be a passage that you know intimately. Stay humble. Use your imagination, which is a counselor's way of inviting you into faith. Close your eyes and see what might happen. I might even say to the wife that is experiencing unfaithfulness from her husband, close your eyes. What would you like to be true in your life, in your marriage in three years? It might take three years. And if I can get her somehow to lock into what she wants, then we can walk through the path of getting there. But she's got to want that. Use your imagination. It's a faith walk. And then realize we're all sick. We're all sick. We will never overcome our own brokenness or another person's brokenness if we take a grandiose position on uh, somebody else's sin and say, well, you know, I would never do that. Oh, yeah, you would. But, you know, that... Maybe not in the same way, but you've probably done worse. And when you take that grandiose position or another person does, there is no hope. And that's why we're all sinners. We're all sick. Just like we're all in this wilderness. Darkness exists. It is dark. Darkness is real. And so again, how do you handle the darkness? Remain prayerful. And again, as, we, as we've talked about, um, prayer is another one of those religious words that become a religious ritual. As I've said many times before, I think in some ways we ought to just quit using the word prayer and just bow our heads and say, let's have an intimate moment with God. <laughs> That's what prayer is. We have got to remain intimately connected to God. Humble and repentant, always willing to change, always willing to grow, seek God seek God. And then when you get tired of seeking God, seek God. That's what we do. So the psychology of suffering, living wisdom looks like this. Seven steps. These are, these are seven um, principles that I would invite you to journal. I've given you them on your notes. I don't have time to develop them all. But it's like, okay, so I'm in the wilderness. I'm suffering or or let's say, you know, that you are um, you are a friend or family member very much are in, involved in a very specific hard time. You know, you get the phone call today. In, in many, uh, I, I know uh, most everybody's story on, on some level that sit in front of me, uh, the guys, and you guys have been through things, Chris. I know what you've been through. And it's just like when somebody is going through a very specific, uh, suffering here's what you might lead them through first of all practice humility it's a humble position I don't know the answers um, I can't answer the why it's just hard humility is the fertile ground for God to work secondly run to Jesus run to Jesus run to Jesus I mean, it, 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 the, the little Johnny joke, you know, 
is, is so true. You know, little Johnny's in Sunday school, you know, what's, has four legs, fuzzy tail, eats nuts, climbs trees. Johnny's in Sunday school. It's just like, well, sounds like a squirrel, but I'm in Sunday school. Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. And truly, run to Jesus. Hate sin. Hate it. Don't, don't hate the person that hurt you or your family or, you know, um, whatever it is, but hate the sin. And, 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 and the Bible uses that word and invites us to hate. You know, somehow there's, there's so much crazy hate going on that we can't say we hate anything. Oh, yeah, we can. I'm a big hater. I'm a big hater. I hate sin. Fourthly, respect the contamination. And, you know, it is interesting, this whole pandemic thing has made us appreciate disease. Uh, but it's like, what about the real disease is the con contamination of all of our hearts toward God. It distorts us. And we need to respect that. It's like, I, I don't see things the way I wish I did. I, I don't see it. I can't. I, I, it's distorted. So I need to be aware of that. Confront avoidance in myself and in others. I hate avoidance in my own life. It's like get up and take out the trash. <laughs> you know, quit avoiding it. You know, and if, when you're married for a while, it's, it's little things like that that can make the difference between a good day and a bad day. Just get up, take out the trash. But there's bigger things that we can avoid. It's like, you know, get going. You know what to do. And then always be aware of your own failures. Again, that defeats that grandiosity. Um, hello, my name is Phil, and I'm broken every day, every day. And then finally, we serve a living redeemer. Jesus is real. He is real. He is alive. Wow. Moses, the glory of restoration things will get better. And I believe that. I believe that today. I believe this is a great day. I believe that God has great things for us uh, in the future. And we can trust him. May you do that. Thank you, Father, so much uh, for the realness, uh, the aliveness uh, that we feel in our hearts in walking with you. Thank you for the life that you have given us. Life abundantly. Life with prosperity um, as opposed to death. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.